Well, welcome tonight, and I want to say a big welcome to all you who are in the room right now, all of you who are watching online, and the people who are out on the patio. And uh, I love Wednesday nights. I love we get to get together. But let me give you a heads up that this week is also going to be different than uh, our normal format we've done. And there's a reason for it. We're about to cover one of the most controversial topics that the church wrestles with. And so we want to take time to dig in and look at it with depth. And I think you guys want to look at it with depth. So I want to be able to do that with you in a way that I think you're going to see what the Bible says and know at least what we believe, why we believe it, why we hold to what we do, and uh, why we would uh, actually operate the way we do. Like, by the way, have you ever wondered, why do we give an invitation every single week? Uh, it's going to be because of what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, and there's lots of other things that shape who we are and hopefully shape who you are. Well, tonight we're going to dive into a very, very big topic, like I said. And uh, these three have agreed to help me. Uh, and if, if I want to make sure you know who they are. They're three awesome, awesome people. Uh, the first I want you to welcome, John Allen is in the house. Yeah. John graduated from Crossroads Christian High School. Uh, he's one of our main worship leaders, uh, both in HSM and SIA. Uh, also uh, is, is let out in a lot of great worship music for us. He uh, went to CBU for a while and then to Hillsong, uh, right? For yeah, yeah I went to Hillsong uh, in Sydney, Australia. And then when I came home, I finished uh, my degree at Cal Baptist. So two different uh, routes. <laughs> yeah, there you go, John. I love that. And I love that about John. Uh, and then we also have Natalie with us. And I want to say this about Natalie. I have never had a person asked more about than Natalie. Back when COVID hit, we had her come in and help us out. And I kept getting like people stopping me and emails going, who is that girl? Uh, because Natalie, you just shined out. Don't you guys agree? She just shines out. And so we love that. And uh, by the way, why don't I say this, the perception you get of Natalie about how godly she is and loving she is and caring she is, is accurate. Okay, when you get to know her, that's who she is. So beautiful inside and out. Uh, but Natalie, oh, go ahead. Thank you. That's so sweet of you, Chuck. <laughs> You're wonderful. I really love just being around you and being in this church. So thank you for leading so well. It's really inspiring. Oh, well, well, see, that's what she does. She builds you up. I love that. But people need to know a little bit more about you. Where are you going to school right now? What are you getting your degree in? Yeah, um, so I'm at CVU right now, and I'm getting my master's degree in speech-language pathology. So, yeah, I want to be a speech Yeah. So that's really, really cool. And then, of course, uh, Stephen McKinley's with us. I just had Stephen share a little bit. Uh, Stephen uh, leads our SIA ministry. Uh, he is uh, a gifted, gifted leader, speaker, teacher. Uh, I love to tell this story. One time I was sitting in a meeting, and Tracy, my assistant, said that Stephen is her all-time favorite preacher. And I sat there going, okay. So Craig... Craig, we don't, we don't hold a candle, all right? And, and actually, I don't mind that. I, I really, he's one of my favorite preachers. Everybody agrees one of your favorite preachers? Yeah. But Stephen's strength is not his preaching. It's the fact he married up and has an incredible wife. So is that true or what? Yes, very true. My better half, she's right over... Right here. It, come on, in the third row, she is always there. That's... Guys, you want to marry... A woman like that. She's amazing. They can't. You got her. Yeah. Well, 
one that's always in your corner. That's okay, what I there mean. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, Jessica, you know I'm a fan. You know I love you, and I think you are incredible, and we're blessed to have you. So, And you guys are such a great team together in ministry. Uh, and tell everybody about it. If they want to be a part of SIA in any way, shape, or form, how would they do that? Yes, so our college and adult ministry, we meet on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock right here in the worship center. So come out tomorrow night. We'd love to see you. We also, Yeah. We also have uh, online uh, as well. So if you can't make it in person, come check out our YouTube at uh, Crossroads CYA, or you can follow us on Instagram at Crossroads CYA. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Yeah. And uh, our, yeah, I love all our next-gen ministries. I love our, all their ministries here, but the next-gen ministries are really special. And man, God's got his hand on you guys. The worship, everything's growing. You're a part of it too, Natalie. Yeah, so it's super cool. But let me say this. One of the most divisive issues in the church is over free will and predestination. Uh, I have seen families divided over this and sometimes very uh, a sad breaking of a family because of that. I've seen friends separated through this. I've seen churches divided and destroyed because of this uh, situation. And it's given birth uh, to denominations, whole denominations, because of what people believe about it. In other words, dividing the church national and international over this. Uh, and I don't know if you've had this happen, but I've talked to a lot of non-Christians who look and say, but why are there so many denominations? They, they don't see that as a good thing, right? Would you guys agree? Yeah. And so this is, the one of, this is probably the issue that's divided the church, divided the made denominations, divided families and friends more than any other in Christianity. Uh, and so we want to talk about what we believe, why we believe it, and, and why we think this is so important. Now, there are those who take, uh, I would say, free will to an extreme, and they take predestination to an extreme. So it's on a continuum. So let's say that. So let's say that, you know, you had over here, you know, some people who hold a view a little bit weaker or tighter and somebody over here who holds it so strongly uh, that they would take it to an extreme. Uh, and there are those who are all along the way in the middle, uh, you know, in the middle or on each way. So we know that's true. And so we're not trying to vilify anybody. Please get that. I mean, I really believe strongly what I believe. But I also believe if I don't love people, what I believe in that moment then doesn't matter very much. And uh, I need to hold to love. But on the predestination side, there is some who take it to such an extreme that I've had people come up to me, sometimes uh, very intelligently and respectfully, and many times, you know this, they've been a little more um, animated and mean-spirited and here's what they say, Pastor Chuck, you're in sin because you give an invitation. You invite people to come to know Christ and they can't. You're lying to them. And one of the most evil places to them is the living room where we invite people to come in and give their lives to the Lord. And we've been told by, by I'm going to say many even, not, not just a few, hey, that's wrong because they can't choose God. God chose them or did not choose them. By the way, if you hold to that Calvinistic view, uh, by, I, I have you think about this. If you hold to Calvinism and God chose who's saved and chose who's not saved, did he choose more who are saved or more who are not saved? What would the answer be? More who are not saved. Yeah, he would choose more who are not saved. Because remember, Jesus said that there are few who find the way to salvation. Therefore, they would say that God created man 
and chose the majority to burn in hell. Calvin actually said something very scary to me. Uh, let's see if we can get that screen to go the correct way. It says this. He, John Calvin said, We may rest assured that God would never have suffered any infant to be slain except those who were already damned and predestined for eternal death. In other words, let me kind of bring it into our day and time because this was said thousands of years ago. This idea he would never have suffered any infant to die before the age of accountability. Unless he had chosen ahead of time, they would burn in hell forever. So he created babies in the womb who miscarry and they go to hell and burn forever. They have no say. They've done nothing wrong. They were just created because God wanted them to suffer. And he predestined anybody who never reached the age of accountability. Because the only way you know you're chosen is you had to reach the age of accountability and you had to go through that process. But you don't get to go through it on your own. God chose whether you would or could and you have no choice in it whatsoever. He even went on to say this, there are babies a span long in hell. In other words, a span is the size of your hand. And so he taught that God on purpose created babies this big to burn in hell for all eternity and to suffer for all time and beyond. Now, I don't know about you. I go, wait a minute. That's not okay. That, that's, that, that, that's not God. That doesn't sound to me like what I understand and read in Scripture. And by the way, we'll get into that in a few minutes, why I see very clearly in Scripture that's not true. But there's even a pastor, a pretty famous pastor, who said it's wrong to tell a couple who've lost a baby, that their baby's in heaven. Because he said there's nowhere in the Bible that says that. And our assumption would actually be the opposite. So we should never give comfort to a family that's lost a child. Now that would be, a, 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 by the way, when I said an extreme, that wouldn't be a, a complete extreme of that view. Because it, it's the logical conclusion of that view. And their leading intellectual who gave birth to that view, that's what he taught. So what I'm trying to say is, that's not what we believe. We believe that God is a God of love. We believe that God is a God who cares. And, and we believe that, that we need to understand that God, God wants us to be that way. God, that's God's great desire. You see, one of the things that um, I've seen is, and this is my experience, but it's not an experience in one or two th times with one or two people. This is my experience over being a pastor since 1979, where I have watched people veer from a belief about God loving and God allowing you to choose to be saved or not saved, and veering over into the other side. And the vast majority of times, if not almost every time, what I watch are Christians who at one time used to be on fire for the Lord becoming very unloving. And uh, by the way, you guys have said you've seen that too, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and John, what did you say you also see happen very often when that occurs? Um, I think something that we had mentioned before the service was that the more knowledgeable someone can become um, can oftentimes teeter them to maybe an arrogant type of approach to someone else, like you had uh, described being puffed up. Right, and so that's never the hope, but it's too common these days. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Uh, so the good news is you have a pastor who's not that smart. <laughs> they laughed. Yeah, if you didn't laugh, I'm in trouble. Okay, everybody online, they laughed. Okay, they did think that was funny. But, but what's it say of 1 Timothy 1.5? We should come back to this when we talk about what instruction is supposed to do. And it says the purpose of our, my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And so here's the purpose Paul said of all the instruction in the Bible and the instruction he gave, that we would be filled with love. So if the instruction I get or the instruction I receive doesn't result in love, the very least you can say is it's missed its purpose. Then it goes on to say, but some people have missed the whole point. They've turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't even know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. So I've had people and, and they want to debate me on this. And by the way, now that I finally crossed 60 years of age, guess what? I don't debate anybody anymore. When they come and say they want to argue with me about it, I send them to Stephen. And uh, <laughs> I don't really do that. Do I? <laughs> I just don't talk to them. But, um, but the reason is, is because I, I want to go out and share Christ's love. I don't want to get caught up in meaningless discussion. I, and, and we will really hold to that. So when we're, we're basing this whole series on, on the, what we call the theology interview. And when we get to this place in the interview, we've had a lot of people not be hired on staff at Crossroads. I've had more than one person. I'll get them to share their view and I'll look at them and say, I just don't think you're going to fit here. And they're like, wait, what are you saying? I said, well, the interview's over. Man, love you. I'll give you the name of some other churches you could go to, but we're not one. And uh, I just don't think it's going to be a fit because we have a passionate commitment to the cause of Christ. We believe that God has called for us to go out and make disciples in all the world. We believe that Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. And so if, you, if someone doesn't have a passionate commitment for that, then they can't be with us. Now, does that mean they're not a Christian? The answer is, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying they're not a Christian. Would you, you know, Stephen, you'd agree. They, you, could, you could disagree with us on this and be a believer. For sure. Yeah, so we're not saying they're not a Christian. We're not saying those churches aren't churches that are, you know, committed to Christ. So you might say, well, then they're going to go to heaven then. And if they're a Christian, they'd go to heaven. Yeah. But let me say what I do believe. A lot of other people won't go to heaven because they've taken that view. Because now they're not passionate to seek and save the lost. Now they're not going out into all the world to make disciples because they don't believe that they can do that. They believe it's only the chosen who are. And matter of fact, most of the group who holds to that only go to churches trying to reach Christians. And they have a, a passion to sway them over to their side. And I believe with all my heart, we're going to find out how many people didn't go to heaven because they lost the, the, the fire lost the passion to go and see the lost saved. And I believe with all my heart, when you begin to look at the Bible, God's great desire is that none would perish. None would perish. And we're a church committed to that. Matter of fact, one of my prayers and commitments is that Crossroads Christian Church will reach the last person before Jesus comes. I really pray we're going to do that. Yeah. So that, that's one of my dreams and hopes that we have that kind of an attitude and we do what God wants us to do that way. So here's where our, our, our uh, verse that I don't want you to miss. Uh, this is, by the way, for all of you who love Dr. Carolyn Leaf, 
You guys love her. Okay. Yep. Natalie loves her. I have her book. <laughs> All right. Yeah. 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 Dr. Leaf is an on fire Christian. She's a neuroscientist. Uh, she's the, one of the leading scientists in the area uh, of neuroscience. Uh, she thinks that her, or she believes uh, that the verse I'm about to share with you is tantamount to having a healthy brain. Uh, I'll tell you why in a second. But she also, this is her favorite verse of scripture Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Today, I have given you, look at this word, the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Now notice it's the choice you make. It's the choice you make. So that's what this is being said here as Moses calls out to them. Oh, that you would choose life that you may live, uh, that you and your descendants may live. So notice this. Three times in one verse, what does it say? You have a what? You have a choice. Now, there are people who say, no, you don't have a choice. God chose for you. You don't get a choice. But, but this says clearly three times, I want you to make the choice. Choose life. Choose life. By the way, if you don't get anything else out of what I'm sharing with you right now, let me say this to you. I care about you. God cares about you. We all love you. We're calling out to you to do this. Choose life and not death. Choose the blessing and not the curse. We want that for you. We really, really do. And so it goes on to say, you can make this choice. Wow. I don't think it gets any clearer than that. You can make this choice. Now how? By loving the Lord your God, obeying him, committing yourself firmly to him. And then it says these words, this is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land, in the, Lord, which, uh, in the, land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, you know, here's this great call. He says, you guys, come on. You have a choice between life and death, blessing and curse. By the way, every one of us have that same choice. And I hope you want to live in the blessing that God has for you. I hope you want to live in the life God has for you. But this is what's so interesting about what Dr. Carolyn Leaf said. Get, get ready. Whether you agree or not, she said, your brain was wired by a creator to have free will. There's something in your brain that just wants free will. And if there's not free will, it creates stress it can actually, she even believes, can create a, a form of brain damage. And then she says, when you live a life of choosing the right thing, of free will, she goes, I can tell you, research shows your brain gets better, your brain is healthier. And she believes that's because that's how God created us. Um, so two of you guys work for me. So I don't do this very often. Uh, I, this is total, I'm throwing them a curveball. They don't know I'm going to say this. Get ready. Your job's on the line. No, not really. Not really. Okay, you guys work for me. So I don't do this very often, but every now and then I've come in and said, I want everyone on staff to, and I've, I've actually don't give them a choice. Mm. Now, would you agree that a lot of our staff struggle with that? Even if they, they just don't wait, we have to, versus I talk with them about it, and, and, and they want to have some freedom in it. Would you agree? For sure. Yeah, people want to have some, some buy-in and you leading us as to why we need to do what X, Y, Z, whatever you're telling us to do. But I would say, yeah, people for sure would have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah. So now all of you who are on staff can actually play the, the HR card. You're damaging my brain. <laughs> 
But, but I think that there's something else going on. And uh, I believe that there's something in, a, in, in the idea of a church being a place that represents God better than that. Where, you know, what we do is we're saying, you know, is, is we want to talk to you about the right way to go and the right direction to go and the right choice to make. And we'll be able to give people, you know, some freedom to be able to do that. Now, by the way, there's times I can't do that. I have to do the other. But, um, but I, I, I think that's why it kind of gets to us all. And, and when I was, I got to be with Dr. Carolyn Leaf more than once. She brought this verse up every single time. And I was like, this is so incredible. And so here's the thing. God gave you a choice. That's, that's called love. You know why? Let me just get it out there. You can't love unless you have the freedom to choose. See, love in and of itself requires the ability to choose. Now, I've had people, when I've shared this verse of Scripture, say, but that doesn't apply to us. Uh, You know, that's an Old Testament passage meant for the Jewish people. But look what it says in Romans chapter 15. For whatever, whatever, in in other words, everything that was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So please understand, all of the Old Testament is for us. And that passage I just read is for you. It was written for your instruction. By the way, I want to tell you that I think about that passage. Have you ever been faced with the choice thinking, oh my gosh, if I act on that, that would not be what God wants. And the Holy Spirit's going, Chuck, choose life. Choose life. You know, don't do it. And, and, and we're going to talk in a, a two weeks about how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. But, but here's what I want you to not miss out on. This could not be more for you. This could not be more the, what God wants you to experience. And so you and I need to understand that. And you and I need to hold that. So what I'm about to do right now is I want to take you on a journey starting in the beginning of the Bible. We're going to do, go to some other sections chronologically up uh, to understanding what God is doing and how he operates operates in his plan for us because God does have a predestined plan. And, and I want you to think about that. So let's go to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter two. And uh, what happened is God has Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And it says, the Lord commanded man saying, from any tree in the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat from it, you will die. What do you see in that moment? Are you ready? Free will. Free will. God said, you can do this, you can't do that. Because if you do, there's a consequence. Now, do you remember back the verse I started out with? Choose life. I'm putting life and death before you. Notice here, that's exactly what God's doing. Does everybody, are you following with me? This is how God, he, he says to you, Adam and Eve, I'm putting life and death before you. Blessing and curse before you. But if you choose the wrong thing, you shall surely die. And so God began by giving them choice and allowed them to choose. I am going to jump to the New Testament. Don't miss this. Jesus says we have that same choice. Because remember what happened here is that Satan came, the tempter came, the thief came. And he said to them, you won't die. You could do whatever you want to do and you won't die. And then Adam and Eve fell. They, they did the wrong thing and they suffered. And by the way, the minute they took that bite, they did start to die. 
uh, entropy set in. Their bodies began to decay. They began to go the wrong direction. So in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus warns about that same thief. And he goes, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and life abundantly. Did you notice this again? There's a thief who gives you death and Jesus gives you life. There's a thief that comes and takes away from you and curses you. And there's a savior that comes and gives you blessing. And again, what are we talking about? We're talking about a main theme within scripture. Not just a theme. A main tenet you and I need to hold to is that God is saying life and death are before you. Blessing and curse are before you. Choose life. Choose life, choose blessing. And so everybody here, we all have a choice and the majority of us have chosen life. The majority of us have chosen Jesus and praise God you have, but you don't want to say to all of us. So I believe that's so incredible. I believe Jesus is so amazing. I want to go out and share with everybody that they can choose life also. I hope you do too and that we want to be a part of doing that together. So that's what God's calling us to. So Adam and Eve were given a choice and they chose death. Then they were banished from the Garden of Eden, and they ended up having children. And they had two sons at first. They had Cain, and they had Abel. And there's a lot to the story I'm not going to go into that's amazing and, and incredible. But they grew up uh, to, be, to be grown men. And then at certain times of the year, all of the children of Adam and Eve, and by the way, it's a growing family, huge in number, uh, they would come together before the Lord to offer sacrifice and to worship him. And one year, we're not sure how many years in, Cain comes and he brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, why is that interesting? Because that's what's called a thank offering. That's where you come and you're thanking God for all the blessings you have. But Abel, his brother, brings a firstling of the flock and he offers a sacrifice to God and we know that's a sin offering. And so one is thanking God for who he has and what he and, and, and what he's been given, the other, and that's not wrong, by the way, but the other is calling out to God for mercy. And what we, what we seem to indicate here is that one came with humility and one came in pride. And so God won't accept the one who came in pride, Cain. He will only accept Abel's offering. And so what happens is Abel becomes angry. He becomes very, very angry. And God tries to stop him from doing something horrible, the very first murder uh, that could happen. So in Genesis, it says this in chapter four. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? And notice this word, if. That's a big word. By the way, in the Hebrew, that word if means if. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you and me. All right. Now, why, here's, do you know what if means? If means you have a choice. If you do this, if you do that, it means you have a choice. So God says to him, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And notice the word again, if. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and it's desirous for you. But here's another word, don't miss this. But you must master it. You must master it. Now, that word actually in the Hebrew is incredible. You know why, you guys? It means you can overcome sin. You don't have to be taken down by sin. 
Now, that means you can, you can say no to temptation. And God said, you must master this. You, you, I've given you the ability. I've given you the choice. I've given you the strength. By the way, sometimes temptation's hard to resist. Would everybody agree? Yeah. Yeah, I've started commuting. And when you commute on the freeways here, there's, there's temptation to, to say words you shouldn't say. Think thoughts you shouldn't think. I won't go further. Um, hand gestures. No. Um, but what he said is if, if you do well, you're going to be lifted up. What does lifted up mean in this place? You are going to live life. You're going to experience life. But if you don't do well, you're going down towards death. Life and death. And so right now, you can have the blessing of the curse. You can have whatever you want. And that's what he begins to say. So Adam and Eve had a choice. Cain and Abel had a choice. And by the way, you know what the choice was here? You don't have to sin. God said you don't have to sin. No one's been made to do that. You were made for more. You were made for better. And then what happens, almost all of you know, is we go through the book of Genesis and watch God uh, give birth to the the chosen people through Abraham. And so Abraham is called and he's told you're going to have family greater than the stars of heaven. And Abraham is called to live God and live life in obedience to God. And then Abraham's children go down to the land of Egypt and end up in slavery for 400 years. And and God comes and and he releases them after he brings 10 plagues that brings Egypt to his knees, which we're going to get into that in a little bit, right, John? And then what happens after that is they go out of the promised land or out of the land of Egypt and slavery into the promised land and they, they take the promised land. And now the opportunity before them is to live an incredible life, a life of blessing and not the curse, a life of life and not death. So Joshua calls them together. And in Joshua, it says this in verse 24, verse 15. If, and notice that word again, if. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose. Choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he calls everybody together and said, you had a choice. And I want you to choose God. My family and I, were choosing God. By the way, let me say this. Not only did we see Adam and Eve have a choice to have life or death, Cain had a choice to master sin or not master sin. And now we have a choice whom we serve. We have a choice whom we serve. And so everybody here is going to serve something or someone. The question is, are you going to choose to serve the Lord? And so here we get, we're given a choice. We have a right to do that. And God's great desire is that you would choose life. Then we're going to go go all the way up to Isaiah 55. And notice again, this incredible call to choose the best, to choose the good. And Isaiah says these words, is anyone thirsty? Now he's talking about, are you thirsting for something? Are you desiring something? Do you feel like you're missing something? Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come take your choice of wine or of wine or milk, and it's all free. But notice this, come take your choice. Come take your choice. You can have the wine, the milk, and guess what? It's all free. God wants to give it all to you. And some of you might be asking, okay, what does wine mean? And milk mean, well, in a Jewish context, that was a sign of great blessing. 
Come and get the greatest of all blessings. And guess what? God said it's free if you choose it. It's free for the taking. And he wants you and I to begin to live that way. Then he asked a question in verse 2. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me. And you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. And in verse 3 he says, come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. So he said this, guess what? You can have all of this if you choose to come. You can have all of this if you choose to partake. It's all yours for free. God said you don't have to earn it. You just have to say yes to it, accept it, and receive it. And so what happened, Isaiah is calling for people to make that choice, to do what's right, to do what's good. And then we're going to go to John chapter 5. The greatest promise God ever gave was for the Messiah to come. And he came. By the way, let me say this. Everybody living at that time knew because of a prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 that the Messiah would come and be born in those years. So it wasn't a secret. They also knew he would be born in a town called Bethlehem. Wasn't a secret. They also knew that he would be called a Nazarite. It wasn't a secret. They knew he would open the eyes of the blind. No one else had done that before. Jesus is walking in their midst doing everything the scriptures said. Everything the scriptures said. It's, it's not even a question he's the Messiah at this point. But they don't believe. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, he looks at them and says this, turn to John chapter five, you guys. It says, you search the scriptures. All those scriptures I just told you about, Jesus said, you guys are searching the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And then here's the words, don't miss it. And you are unwilling to come to me. You're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't look at the Pharisees and said, before the foundation of the world, God chose to hate you. Before the foundation of the world, God chose for you to go to hell. He didn't turn and say, these, tw- what, these 11, not 12, these 11 are the elect and you're not. He said, do you know what the problem is? You're unwilling. The reason you can't find life, the reason you aren't living in this is not because God chose to not love you and care for you and accept you. You have the scripture so you would know. And Jesus said, it comes down to this. You are unwilling. So when you start reading the scripture, you see it's a call for everybody to make a choice. Everyone to choose what God would want for them. Everyone to be in on that. Why? Because God loves us all. And we need to understand that. Let me just say this as clearly as I can. What is God's will? God's will is that every single person is saved. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, 3 and 4 says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, now notice this, all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. So here's the thing I want to tell you. God's will is for everybody to be saved. And he didn't create anybody not to be. He wants everybody to be saved. Everybody to have the knowledge of the truth. That's what, by the way, you know what? If you go to Crossroads, we preach that. That God cares about you. God loves you. God desires you. 
And I believe without all my heart, there's no other message to preach. And then in 1 Timothy 4, it says this, for it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. So believers are the ones who are receiving that life and not death, that blessing and that curse. But God loves everybody and God wants to be the savior of every single person. And then in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says this, the Lord is not slow about his promise to some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for what? Any to perish, but for all to come to, the, uh, to, come to repentance. So by the way, let me say this. God has not chosen some people and said, you're never going to be allowed to repent. We're going to get to a, a complexity on that in a minute, right? John, I got you ready to go, Absolutely. Man. Yeah, we're going, yeah. But let me say this. The overarching truth of Scripture is you have a choice. And he wants you to choose life. And he doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He wants, and the word repentance, if you're brand new, it means to turn around. It means to change your direction. So if you're heading towards hell, God wants you to go to heaven. If you're heading towards hurt and pain, God wants you to go to life and healing. It means to turn and change. By the way, that's one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. Do you know what that means? You can change. You can change. I love to sit with people who, who think there's no hope for me and say there is. And God's telling you, you can change. You can change. Uh, I, I got to do this, Ray. I, yeah. Ray Prospero is here. He's one of the leaders in our church. And uh, Ray, uh, I'm just give your story. Is that okay? Yeah, Ray uh, was addicted to alcohol. It was ruining his life. It was destroying his family. And Ray came to Crossroads and the Holy Spirit moved. It wasn't Crossroads, it was the Holy Spirit. And today, Ray is 12 years sober. Yeah, praise God. But Ray, you did this, didn't you? You repented. Isn't that a beautiful word? It wasn't me screaming out, you repent sinner. It was a holy God saying, come and change. Come and change. And man, he, he's moving lives today. You're doing good stuff today, Ray. And I love that. So God wishes for everybody to do that. In Matthew chapter 18, it says this. Jesus said, so it is not the will of your father who's in heaven that one of these little ones perish. By the way, after the Calvin quote, I, I don't know about you, I gotta stop on that. One of these little ones. Um, God would never put a baby into hell. I'm, I just flat out tell you that. And uh, David, David talking about when his child died, he said, I'll see him one day. I'll see him one day in heaven. So, if you've ever wondered about that, the Lord, the Lord feels that way. Uh, the, the earliest Christian creed is in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And uh, it goes 11 through 14. And the early church, they would have memorized this. Everybody, everybody would have known this because it was the main tenet of the teaching uh, that we have about the whole gospel. What is the gospel? It's, it's summed up in this. That the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to who? All men. That's the opening line. That's the tenet. That's the creed of the early church. That the, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Now notice that we're saved by grace, not by works. But it, it's for everybody. By the way, that means it's for you. It's for me. 
That means if you have sinned horribly, it's for you. That means if you made a mess of everything, it's for you. It's, it's, it's the equality of the early church brought forth that says God loves everybody. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then it says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all. That's the earliest Christian teaching about the gospel, that it's for everybody. Now, by the way, that's a big deal. That means it's for Jews, for Greeks, for slave, for free, for male, for female. It means everybody. And so we understand that and know that's God's great call for our life. So God loves us all and he gives us all a choice, which uh, brings us to John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. By the way, why does it use the word world? It means everybody. He doesn't name one continent or one group of people. Uh, If you were living in this day where there was so much racial animosity, right, Stephen? Everybody would have already known ahead of time. That meant everybody, right? So God loved everybody, the world, that he gave his only begotten son that, and look at this, whoever. Whoever believes, whoever believes, not whoever is chosen, not whoever is elect, not whoever is predestined, whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. So God loves everybody. God wants everybody. God desires all people to come to salvation. And we need to understand that, which brings us back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 today. I have given you the choice between life and death, blessing and curses. Now I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. You get a choice. Oh, that you would choose, choose life that you may live and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land. The Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I just think that is so powerful. And as I was getting ready even now for about a month to share this with you, this is echoed in my mind. The Holy Spirit saying to me, Chuck, choose life. Choose blessing. And I've been telling other people that. Choose life. Choose life. You can choose life. And you can choose to live in the blessing. And God wants that to occur for you. God wants that to happen. Well, there's no doubt that uh, there's going to be at least some of you, if not many of you, who are asking some questions in your mind. Well, what about this passage? What about that section of scripture? Why is there disagreement over this? Why, are, there's a, why is this, what I just said, so polarizing? Why, why? And so we felt like there probably are three questions that either you might ask or will get asked. And I've asked these guys to help me out on it. And uh, so Natalie, uh, you get to go first. Awesome. Yeah, that was a great message. Thank you so much for just sharing that. I feel like I've learned a lot more about just predestination and free will. So um, I'm really excited to dive into these questions with you guys. Awesome. So for the first question, um, we're going to go to Ephesians 1.4. And it says that God chose us before the foundation of the world and predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So my question was, based on this scripture, 
It seems that it's more of God's choice and not our choice. What do you think? Okay, that, that's really, really good. So I love that, uh, the way you asked. By the way, we, we, went, we went through this ahead of time. I don't want to pretend like, okay. I chose to not lie. And you're not lying either. These two guys are the lie. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, no. Okay, so that's a question a lot of people ask. And you, you probably have been in a setting where that's come up, right? Yeah, I've had friends that um, were Calvinists and have, so I've heard conversations about um, predestination, but I feel like I didn't really know what to say sometimes. Um, so it's been really great learning even today and through this process. So. Okay, I love that. I love your heart and how you even brought that the way we wanted you to. Ephesians chapter one, let's go there. Uh, I need to give you some background uh, to understand the Bible correctly. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I want, don't want you to miss this. The right way to study scripture is to do this. You have to ask, who is he talking to? If you don't know who's being addressed, who the, the letter's being written to, uh, who the people are, like the Corinthians, why did Paul talk to them the way he talked to them? You need to know who he's talking to. The second is, you need to know, what is he saying to them? Not to me. What's he saying to them? And then, how does that apply to me? And when we jump and apply it to ourselves too quickly, we very often and most often will come up with the wrong interpretation. And the Bible is not for private interpretation. So what is the purpose of that section? Who is he talking to? What is he saying to them? And what does it mean to me, right? So that, that's, that's what I teach you guys all the time. Now, when you come to the book of Ephesians, he's talking to the Ephesian church, and he's making a shocking statement. He's making a shocking argument, and especially chapters one to three. Now, are you ready for what it is? Because most of us, we don't even think about it. He was actually saying to them, the Jews and the Gentiles are equal in Jesus Christ. Now, for almost all of you, you, wouldn't, you don't struggle with that, do you? Like, you don't come to Crossroads and go, this is for the Gentile section, this is the Jewish section. We don't do that, do we? Now, now, the reason is this letter ended up solving that problem. But that's what he's talking about. So he opens up Ephesians. Uh, by the way, you might want to jot this down and study it on your own. With seven in hymns. Now, I know you're right away going, wait, I don't understand what you're saying. But it's this, this phrase right here. In him. He's going to use that seven times. And he's going to talk about that in Christ, Jews and Gentiles are equal in this way. And in Jesus, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, this is what's true of you. Are you guys tracking with me? So that's what he's trying to get them to understand. But he's, here's the point, and I think you'll get this, it's in Jesus. If you're in Jesus, then this is true of you, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, by the way, whether you're slave or free, male or female. So it begins by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And notice it's in Christ. Now we're going to get to seven in hymns. But you and I are blessed with every blessing, every blessing if you're in Jesus. So his whole point is it's about being in Jesus. Just as he chose us in him. Now look at this word, chose. He chose us in him. Now that is big. If you're Jewish, I don't know if anyone's going to track with me on this. If you're Jewish, you're called the what people? 
Oh, you got it. Chosen people. Yeah, people knew. You guys knew. Okay. I love our church. Um, no, the Jewish people are the chosen people. Is that right? Does everybody know that? And if you're a Jewish person, it's a big deal you're a chosen people. But guess what? When you're in Christ, what are you? You're a chosen person too. And so he says, hey, in Jesus, we're all the chosen people. Uh, I think that's really important to grab hold of. So if you're in Jesus, you're, you're chosen. And so when he says that, he's saying to the Jewish people, you are chosen by birth, but to all those who are Christians, you're chosen by faith. They were chosen in Abraham. We're chosen in who? In him, in Jesus. And it makes us the chosen people. And so what he's not saying is that God chose you uh, and did not choose others. He says, when you're in Jesus, you become the chosen people. And it happened before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. So God knew ahead of time who was going to do this. And he predestined that we would be the chosen people when we're in Christ. It goes in love. He predestined us to what? Now, don't miss what he, he, it says very clearly in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So what is this saying he predestined? He predestined us to adoption. He predestined us to be adopted. But how are we adopted? We're adopted when we're where? In him. So the predestination is anybody who believes in Jesus Christ is adopted into the family of God and we're equal to the Jewish people. And, and, and by the way, it, it doesn't mean God doesn't love the Jewish people. He loves the Jewish people too. Uh, so Gentiles are to love the Jewish people and Jews are to love the Gentiles. By the way, if you haven't caught it, we're supposed to love each other uh, when we come to church. Uh, and so here's the thing though. The predestination was what? That anybody who's in Christ is predestined to be adopted into the family of God. It doesn't say predestined to be saved. But you, are you saved? Yes. But the predestination was to adoption. The predestination was to adoption in the family of God. Later on, it's going to say he's predestined you to inheritance. Now, what is he getting at there? In other words, you get all of the promises God has for you because he predestined anybody who's in Christ to receive those. So the predestination is anyone who is in Jesus Christ believes in Jesus Christ because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him now is adopted, is, is predestined is, uh, to, a, to inheritance, is chosen. So if you haven't caught where I'm going, and I'll say it more clearly, he predestined a plan before the foundation of the world for people who would choose to believe in Jesus by their choice. So the predestination is the plan, the plan that Jesus would come and die on the cross for our sins, the plan that he would rise from the dead, the plan that anybody, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life, the plan that we would be adopted into the family of God, gain all the inheritance as a rightful member of that family, and that we would be chosen, the chosen. So guess what? You tomorrow could go up to people going, dude, I'm chosen. Yeah, I'm a chosen person, which is exactly what he's talking about and saying. So it's, it's a, something people talk about a lot. But when you look at what he's saying, the big deal is the in him, in him, in him, in him. See, and everything's about being in Jesus. And when you're in Jesus, guess what? You get life, not death, blessing, not curse. And, and God wants you to have that. All right, John. 
A question that many of us in the room or online could be thinking through actually comes from the Old Testament. And the reason I'm excited about this question is because I remember being taught this in Sunday school when I was like five, not even knowing what any of this was. And that is, if God hardened Pharaoh's heart, did Pharaoh have free will? Yeah, and that is so, I love talking about this one. And uh, uh, this is one reason why we're going to have to take some time. So get ready to track with me because I want you to follow uh, the book of Exodus and follow what occurs with Pharaoh. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? No doubt about it. Uh, But notice the process that occurred because, by the way, Paul in Romans chapter 9 refers to this. And he said, God may harden whoever he chooses to harden or God will harden whoever he chooses to harden. But what happened is that God um, called Moses and he said to Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I want you to go and tell, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So then the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I, and this is a key word here. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So he said, God said, Moses, you're going to go. You're going to say, let the people go. And I want you to know something. He's not going to do it. And I will harden his heart. So we know that's going to occur. We know that's going to take place. So Moses goes and he goes before Pharaoh. And we see that he goes to do that with him. And so we understand that's about to happen. That's Exodus chapter four. Exodus chapter five. God has Moses and Aaron, his brothers, stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says these words, who is the Lord? In other words, I have no clue who you're talking about. And then he said this, I'm not only going to not let the people go, I'm going to make their lives more miserable. In other words, I'm going to rebel like that. I'm not going to do what you're saying God wants me to do. And then it says this, don't miss that, because God said, I will do it. I haven't done it yet. I am going to do it. It hasn't occurred yet. So when Pharaoh got stubborn, who is it that got stubborn? The answer is Pharaoh. So Pharaoh said no to God. I'm not going to do it. God said, well, one day you're going to actually see me harden your heart in a way that you're not going to get out of it. Then in Exodus 7 verses 13 and 14, it says, yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses Now notice this, he refuses to let the people go. So right now at this moment, it's not God who's doing it to him, he's doing it to himself. It's not God that's made him stubborn yet, he will. It's his own stubbornness in action. And so that's what happens in this moment, is God said it's going to happen though one day, I'm gonna grab hold of him and I'm gonna do something very strong inside him. So now we come to the first of the 10 plagues and the waters of Egypt are turned to blood. People are miserable. People are thirsting. Animals are dying. People don't know what to do to handle the situation. And so they, they know in this moment that they need relief. And so Pharaoh actually does say to Moses, ask God to stop, ask God to stop. Says in Exodus chapter 7, verse 22, but the magicians of Egypt did the same. They turned water to blood with their secret hearts, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh turned and went into the house with no concern for this. Now, who's hardening his heart in that moment? Pharaoh's hardening his own heart. 
God still hasn't done it yet. He's sitting there going, well, my magicians could do what you did. Therefore, forget you. I'm not going to listen to you. And then God says, if you're not going to listen to water being turned to blood, I'm sending a plague of frogs. Frogs everywhere. By the way, it actually says frogs in their beds. Could you imagine getting in bed tonight and frogs are all in there with you? Yeah, so frogs. And so what happens is uh, uh, Pharaoh calls for Moses and says, stop the frogs, stop the frogs. And, and God does. And in Exodus 8, verse 15, it says this. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. Who's doing it? God hasn't done it yet. God said, I will do it. But now he's into the second plague and Pharaoh's the one who's hardening his own heart. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. And God had said, he's not gonna listen to you and I'm gonna harden his heart one day. But God hasn't done it yet. He's hardening his own heart. So then they have the third plague and it's gnats. Gnats everywhere. I don't know about you, I hate gnats. I one time was in the, the Virgin Islands and I walked out and Pam goes, oh, and there were gnats so much on my face I could hardly see. Yeah, yeah, it was Pharaoh's fault. So anyway, um, but what happens is he sends gnats and then notice what it says in Exodus 8 verse 19. It says, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They said, we couldn't even come close to doing something like this, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. But he's hardening his own heart. He's, he, God hasn't done it yet. He still has free choice. He still has free will. But he's so stubborn. He's so stubborn he won't give in. Then there's the fourth plague. And the fourth plague is flies. Flies everywhere. You know, it's like living in Norco. No, I'm kidding. For all you watching in another town, it's funny here. But, uh, but anyway, uh, there's flies everywhere. And in Exodus 8 verse 32, it says, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. Did you see who's doing it? Pharaoh hardened his heart. This time also. Now that's a big key. That means every other time I told you that he hardened his heart, he hardened his own heart. So if you even said, check, wait, is that what it means? This defines what's happening. This defines what's occurring, that, that he's the one doing it this time also, and he did not let the people go. So what I want you to see is God is doing things, and he said, one day I'm going to harden his heart, and he can't get out of it. But all these other times, up till then, he's hardening his own heart, he's hardening his own heart, and God's not going to let him out of it. Then we have the fifth plague, and the fifth plague hits, and it's the death of cattle. And cattle are important to Egypt. They're, they're, they're the sustenance of Egypt. And in Exodus 9, verse 7, it says this, Pharaoh said, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So he's still, he's, now, we're, we're five plagues in, and he's still hardening his own heart, hardening. In other words, he's making free choice. He's making free choice. And then what happens is Exodus 9, verse 12, God sends a plague of boils upon the people. And it says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. This is the first time that said. God way back had said, I will do it. We're all the way to chapter 9 before it says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So God gave him free will, free will, free will, free will. And then God said, enough, enough. If you're not gonna listen to me, if you're not going to humble yourself before me, I'm going to, here's my, here's my, I'm going to give you what you want. 
By the way, I think sometimes that's happened to people I know. They, they sin and keep sinning and keep sinning and get more hard-hearted and more hard-hearted. And I'm, I'm scared. I'm going to be honest. They use the word scared. I get scared that God is like, then forget it. You're not coming back. Can people reach a point of no return? Can people reach a place of being so hard-hearted? Hebrews chapter 6 says that people can come to a place where it's impossible to renew them to repentance. And, but I want to tell you this. The loving God doesn't do it till you get yourself there. If you want to be godless, if you want the curse, God says, then you're going to get it. You're going to get it. And this is the first time it says that God did that to him. The very first time. By the way, go to Exodus 10 verse 1 and look what it says. It says, the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I may perform these signs of mine among them. And the Lord said, you know what? I am. I'm going to deal with this in that way. And I want you to know it. I want you to know it. Which brings us to the third question. Yes, uh, this is a question that I have for sure. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a really long time, actually. And we've been talking about how God gives free will, choice. We've been talking about that all night. And we just talked about uh, him hardening Pharaoh's heart. Uh, I think about in Romans 9. And in Romans 9, it talks about how God chose Jacob over Esau before they were even born. And then he also says, that Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And so my question is, did God give Esau free will? And did Esau even have a chance? Okay, that's really, really good. Which also brings me, or brings us to, uh, get ready, it's a little bit complicated, but hopefully I'll, we'll see how you, what you think. So test me now, you guys, if I can bring this in a way you can understand it. Um, the book of Romans is one of the best arguments ever written. Uh, it, it actually could be considered a legal argument, but, but it, cause it builds on each chapter. It's also one of the greatest, uh, 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 writings of philosophy that's ever been written. My oldest son is not a Christian. Most of you know that, uh, he's an atheist, but he's a professor of philosophy. And he would tell you that Paul is brilliant in the letter of Romans. And of course we know that God inspired him to write it. So what Paul is trying to bring to the people who are listening to this letter or listening to it be read or reading this letter is this. Paul says, hey, all you Roman Christians, I'm going to be coming to you pretty soon. And I know I'm very controversial. People are questioning me and what I'm teaching. So let me tell you what I'm teaching. And Romans becomes the gospel of Jesus, according to Paul. And he begins to build. And so what he talks about is this. God is angry and God will judge. He will judge all unrighteousness, all ungodliness. I am going to answer your question. Uh, he'll judge all unrighteousness, all ungodliness. And then it says, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then he talks about this. But God, being God, has given us a gift of grace through Jesus Christ. So we have the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. So here's the question. How do you get that gift? And he says, Abraham got it by having faith, not by having works. So Paul says, all of this has to do with having faith. So then in Romans chapter 8, Paul says something very interesting. He's talking about that ones that God foreknew would have faith in him. It says, for those whom he, and this is a key word, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, but notice what they're predestined to, to be conformed to the image of his son. So he would be the firstborn of many brethren. Now, Paul said through foreknowledge, he predestined. In other words, not through forechoice. It's through knowing ahead of time what someone would do. He predestined us 
based on what we're going to do. In other words, we're predestined according to the plan of God. We already told you to be adopted, to, to inheritance, and to be chosen. And, and now he's telling the Roman Christians, he said, God did this based on foreknowledge, based on knowing what someone would do ahead of time. And then he gets into Romans chapter 9. And he said, I love the Jewish people. He said, but not all those who are of Israel are Israel. In other words, not all of the Jewish people who were chosen by birth are going to be in the chosen by faith. It's their choice. And he said, I'd give my salvation for them, but they're not going to be. And then he said, I want you to know God always has chosen to choose. And God's the creator and can choose to do whatever he wants to do. So God chose Jacob and not Esau based on foreknowledge. He knew the kind of person that Esau would be, and he knew that Esau would be one who would not come to repentance. By the way, that, that's again, that impossible to repent. And he said, God chose to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he said, God has always chosen to do what he wants to do. That's Romans chapter nine. Then we get to Romans chapter 10. And he says, but I want you to tell what God chose. In Romans chapter 10, it says this. What does it say? What does it say? And it goes, the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, and here's this, the word of faith. Now, don't miss this. I hope I'm making sense. What does it, the word of faith, say? This is how God chose for us to be saved, by faith and not by works, according to his grace. So how do you know you're of the faith? This is what the word of faith says, which we are preaching to you, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you choose to say that Jesus is Lord and commit your life to Jesus is Lord, if you choose to believe God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. God chose to give salvation that way. And he did it according to foreknowledge. And then it goes on to say in this passage this. It says, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, and don't miss this word, whoever. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction, and notice it comes back to this, between Jews and Greeks. And that's a big deal. He's having to battle that battle all the time. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, both Jews and Greeks, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever, again, whoever, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name. In other words, whoever chooses to believe, whoever chooses to come. So in God's case, God knew that Jacob, for all his failings, Jacob wasn't perfect. He knew Jacob, for all his failings, would be one who would one day believe. And he knew that Esau would be one who wouldn't. And that wasn't based on foreknowledge, it was based on foreknowledge. In other words, not predestining to choose, but predestining to love, based on knowing what they would choose. And here's the great calling, and if I haven't got it clear, get ready for this. God said, I could, I could do whatever I want to do. I could create people to go to heaven and create people to go to hell. God could do that. God can make you say things. God can make you do things. God can say, I'm done with all of you. But God said, I made a different choice. That if you'd confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, if you would believe in your heart 
that I raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. God said, I've chosen everybody who chooses to choose me to be in my love, to be in my family, to be in my blessing. And that's why he says, choose life, not death. Choose blessing, not curse. Because God could not love you more than he does. That's what the teaching of Roman is. And that's what that section's about in there. So I hope this has been meaningful to you. I hope it's special to you. But I want you to know, thank you, you guys. But I want you to know it comes down to the love. It really does. God couldn't love you more than he does. And if you're watching online and you didn't know that, I'm going to ask you to do this. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, pray a prayer where you say, I want to give my life to you. I want you to be Lord of my life. Take me now, Lord. Take me now. Pray those words. Say those words to him. And then make it known that you've done it by texting amen to 77247. By the way, why do we do that? It's not just some ploy. We care about you. We love you. And we want you to do it. We want you to text that word amen so we can know who you are. We want to give you some, a gift uh, to help you know how to grow in the Lord. But confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Say those words. And if you're here in the building or out in the patio, I want you to know God is saying to you, choose life. And we care about you here. Choose life not death. Choose blessing and not curse. And tonight, some of you need to choose life. How do you do that? We're going to ask you to confess with your mouth, to pray a prayer with me and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you're my Lord, and I believe in you. And then we're going to ask you to stand to sing. And if you pray that prayer, we're going to ask you to make your way to an aisle or to the stairs or come in the building and walk down one of these aisles and let us greet you. And then head in this room we call the living room. And in there, we're going to celebrate the life that's in you. To me, by the way, that's my favorite room in the whole church, you guys, because so many lives have changed. But something happens when you make that walk. Something happens when you step out. If you want to grab someone's hand and say, come with me, you can. But you know what? If you take a step and come, this is a church that loves you. We're going to cheer you on. We're going to cheer you on. So if God begins to stir, don't hold back. If you know you want to choose life, you want to choose blessing, then, then come. But let's pray. Lord, I pray for those online right now. I pray some are out there. They would say, Jesus, you're my Lord. And just saying that, saying it and meaning it, Jesus, you're my Lord. I want to give my life to you. And I pray they're going to text. But for those who are here also, Right now, if that's you, come on. Choose life. Choose love. Choose his blessing. And choose that by saying, Jesus, you're my Lord. Just pray that. Whisper those words. Jesus, you're my Lord. And I want to give my life to you. I believe in you. I know you love me. Pray those words. Jesus, you're my Lord. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God. If you prayed that prayer, praise God, because we're so for you. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. 
We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.